we're starting this sermon series called The Unmentionables. And I don't know about you, but whenever I think of the word unmentionables, I think about, you know, like lingerie and underwear, but we're not talking about that. Instead, we're going to be talking about the things in our lives that we deal with, like shame and grief and regret and guilt that we don't often talk about and that we don't talk about in the church enough. And so this morning, we're going to start with the word regret. Before we get started, would you pray with me? Gracious and most holy God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks this morning, Lord, for who you are, for the ways that you love us so deeply. And God, we ask that you would open our eyes so that we might see you, that, we would, that you would open our ears so that we would hear you, that you, we would open our hearts so that we could feel your love, and oh God, then that you would open our hands so that we might serve you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So if I were to ask you, what do you regret in life? Many of you would have answers that have deeply affected your life. I think we all have regrets in life. They can be really big. They can be really small. They can be regrets of actions, the things that we did that we wish we hadn't. They can be regrets of inaction, the things that we didn't do that we wish we had. They can be regrets of reaction, the ways that we react to the things that happen to us in our life or to the people in our lives. So I came across this website when I was researching for this message called secretregrets.com. And it's a place where people can go and you can anonymously submit um, your regrets. And I guess that makes you feel better. Um, But I started reading and I came across these examples. And all of them came from last month in 2018. So I want to share them with you. The first one said... I regret not spending time for myself. I worked so many years and didn't do the things I wanted to do. The next one said, my, re- my biggest regret is not going to my dad's funeral when he died. Another one said, I regret that a year ago today I planned on proposing to you. Another one said, I regret allowing myself to speak badly about a friend when they betrayed me. Another one said, I regret that I kept the affair going because I didn't want to risk my career. Another one said, I regret having participated in bullying a classmate, having been mean to another. And then this last one really struck me. It said, I guess I simply regret that I'm still alive. You can hear the pain behind these words of regret. And I I believe that we all have things in our life that have caused regret. About a decade ago, um, when I was going through kind of a hard time in my life, I heard a sermon based on the scripture that we're going to read today, 2 Kings chapter 2, and I took all these notes, and it really transformed my understanding of who God is. So I want to share that with you because it's just stuck with me. This story is found in 2 Kings. Um, 2 Kings is probably not a book that you read too often, But as you've guessed, it's about kings, and it's also about the prophets Elijah and Elisha. And we're going to start reading right after Elijah has ascended into heaven, and he has passed the mantle of prophet on to a man named Elisha. Elisha makes his way into the city of Jericho, and this is what happens. I'm reading from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. It says this, The people of the city, and they're talking about Jericho, 
said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, the town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, said Elisha, and put some salt in it. So they brought it to him. This is what the Lord says, says Elisha. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this very day, according to the words Elisha spoke. And that's the story. Pretty simple, right? Oh, you have a problem with your water that's making the land bad. Well, bring me some salt. I'll throw some salt in the water and everything will be taken care of. But we know when we approach scripture that we have to look at the story behind the story. We always have to consider the context of what this story was written in. We know Elisha was in Jericho. And the city of Jericho, it actually had this really complex and weird history about it. To give you a little bit of an idea of where Jericho is, it's about 16 miles northeast of Jerusalem in Israel. So if you were to get in your car after church, drive to Saxe, that's about the distance of where um, Jericho is in comparison to Jerusalem. So with, when Elijah comes into the city and he throws salt in the water of Jericho, I think we need to lay that story on top of the story of the history of Jericho. So whenever I dive into these Old Testament stories, I like to remind myself that we are coming at them with a modern worldview. We live in the modern age and we have cell phones and um, electricity and lights and toilets and all of those, those things in our modern worldview affect the way that we interpret the world. So this story is rooted in a pre-modern worldview context, and sometimes the patterns and thinking about the story in a pre-modern worldview can sound kind of strange to us. They can just sound kind of weird. So I want us to acknowledge that we're reading today with a modern worldview, and let's just let the story sound a little weird, okay? Okay, so if you went to Sunday school as a kid, you remember Jericho was conquered by a man named Joshua, and Joshua marched around the city seven times, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, and there's a great kid song about it that I will not sing for you. But the Bible tells us that Jericho was conquered, and we don't tell our kids this part, we just stop at the walls came down. But Joshua comes into the city, he conquers it, and Joshua 6.26 tells us this. At this time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is anyone who undertakes to rebuild the city of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. And at the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So from the very beginning of Israelite history in Jericho, the city is conquered. And the conqueror says, hey, if you try to rebuild the city, it's not going to go well for you. The curse was very specifically about the firstborn child, the one who carried the family name. So the worst thing that you could do was attack somebody's bloodline, the first in the family. But if we do a little bit of digging in the Bible, we find that this curse actually came to be. In 1 Kings, there is a man named El, H-I-E-L, and he decides, hey, I'm going to rebuild the city of Jericho, and guess what happened? The scripture says he laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son. And he set up its gates at the cost of his secondborn son. 
So Jericho, it has this history that's this history of a curse on the city. Anyone who tries to rebuild it, don't do it. It's not going to go well for you. And I know talking about curses sounds a little bit weird, uh, like witchcraft or voodoo or something. We don't use the, the curse language in our, our vocabulary very much. But this idea of curses was something that the people at the time would have known very well. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, there's this series of blessings and curses that come along. And that's how people understood their relationship with God. Essentially, their worldview was that if you obey God's commands, things will go well for you. But if you disobey God's commands, things will go very badly for you. And so starting in Deuteronomy chapter 28, it talks about if you obey God, these are all of the ways that you're going to be blessed. And then in verse 15, it starts saying, but if you don't obey God, this curse will happen to you, and this curse will happen to you, and this curse will happen to you. And it goes on all through chapter 28, all through chapter 29, and it builds and builds of these terrible things that are going to happen to you. But this is the good news. In chapter 30, it says, but at any point, at any point, at any point, you can return to God, and God will restore you. God will redeem you. God will bring about restoration. If you walk away from God, there will be consequences, yes, but at any point, you can return to God, and God will redeem. All those curses that you've just read about, no. At any point, you can return to God, and you will be restored. So the city of Jericho, it has this history that undergirds it. The people of Jericho, they would have known about Joshua's curse. They would have known about El and his two sons who died when he tried to rebuild the city. They would have understand, understood Deuteronomy 28 and 29 and all of these ideas of blessings and curses. There was just this like unspoken history in the air. It's kind of like, have you ever been to your spouse's family reunion? And those people are just weird. Like, they do things really weird, and you don't understand what's going on until somebody tells you, well, we do it this way because blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Or if you join a new group of friends that have known each other for a while, and they have inside, um, inside jokes, and you're like, this doesn't make any sense until they tell you the joke, and then you're like, okay, I get it. It makes sense. There's just this, like, history, unspoken, that everybody knows about that's floating in the air of Jericho. Everyone knew about the curse. No one talked about it. And so for us, I think sometimes we let our regrets become like this unspoken curse. These regrets can affect who we believe ourselves to be, and there's this undergirding history of our life story that sometimes is really hard for us to reconcile. It feels like the water in our lives has been cursed and, and the land is unproductive and what do we do? But Elisha, he comes into the city. He's told the water is bad, the land is unproductive, which is all language from Deuteronomy 28 of the idea of curses. And Elijah just says, bring me a new bowl and put some salt in it. And so salt, what do we know about salt? We know that we put salt on like all of our food. 
We know that our bodies need it. We know that it's a preservative. But the cool thing about salt is that it's used throughout the Old Testament when they talk about their ritualistic sacrificial system. Salt had a symbolic value for people. The book of Leviticus tells us, Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. With all of your offerings, you shall offer salt. So the salt had the symbolic value of the covenant of our God. And the covenant of our God says, no matter how bad it is, no matter where you find yourself, no matter how complicated things are, no matter how hard your heart is, no matter what you have regret over, At any point, at any point, you can return to God, and God will restore you. No matter how much you've screwed up, no matter how many bad mistakes you think you've made, no matter how far you've strayed from God's commands, no matter how many other gods you've worshipped, no matter how many regrets you have accumulated, you can always return to God, and God will restore you. That's the salt of the covenant. It symbolizes to us that you can always come home. You can always start over. So Elisha, he steps into this weird history of Jericho where the land is bad and the water is bad. And he says, hey, bring me a a new bowl and put some salt in it. And he takes that bowl and he goes to the spring of water and he throws the salt in the water. And he declares, this is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it be unproductive. Never again will it cause death. And the water remains pure to this day. He, he, Elijah, he goes to the water. He throws the salt in. And he said, it's like God says, I've taken care of everything. I offer myself to you. Let's move forward. And that's the story that we've read this morning. So for us, I think there are several things that we can apply to our lives and to the regrets that we either consciously or unconsciously carry with us. And the first one is this. I think this is probably the most important. The first one is that history does not decide, it merely describes. History does not decide, it merely describes. This weird history of Jericho does not have to determine the present or the future of the city. It only describes what happened previously in that place. So your history, my history, our history describes what we've done, where we've been, who we've been with, what we've been involved in, the regrets that we have. It describes what happened. But our history does not have to determine our future. It doesn't. But I wonder for for many of us, how many of us have allowed our history to somehow decide and describe our future? Elisha simply gets the salt, and he doesn't ask for a list of their sins. He doesn't ask for, you know, what they think about this. He doesn't ask for any of that. He just says, bring me a new bowl, put some salt in it, and he throws the salt in the water. And he says, today is a new day. One scholar says that Elisha simply ushers in a whole new era for these people in Jericho. This is a new, new day. Bring me a new bowl with some salt in it. And God says, everything is taken care of. Let's get on. Let's move forward. I think this story also teaches us that curses can be broken. Elisha just said no to Joshua's curse on the city. He said, no, today is a new day. He believed in God's everlasting covenant that says that new things can happen, that can break the cycles and patterns of old ways of thinking. 
The curse on the city was part of its history, but it didn't have to decide its future. And according to the prophet Elisha, a new word can always be spoken. There is always space for a new word. You've told me that things are like this. Well, well, I say a new word can be spoken into that. Or I've only experienced things this way. But God says a new word can be spoken into that. Or you tell me that your future is inevitable because blah, blah, blah. No, God says, I can speak a new word into that place. So we as moderns, with our, our modern worldview, we, we might not connect to the idea of curses. The, the word curse just feels a little icky to me. Until we start thinking about the language that we use. Have you ever heard somebody say, or have you ever said, things like, oh man, I just can't get a break. Or, this kind of thing always happens to me. Or, oh, just my luck. Or, like I expected anything else. I mean, it's just inevitable. Or, it always rains when I wash my car, right? We have these superstitions that we carry with us. And, and I think we have to challenge those thoughts this morning. Elisha, he comes into all of this. He says, bring me a new bowl. Put some salt in it. Today is a new Day, and he ushers in a whole new era. And so for us, I, I think we have to consider to what degree am I still trapped in these pre-modern superstitious ways of viewing the world? Because what we think and what we believe really matters. And I'm not talking about like your understanding of soteriology and atonement theories and fancy theology, not that sort of belief. I'm talking about the narratives and the scripts and the patterns of thinking that actually determine the sorts of choices we make every day. And a lot of those stem from our regrets. We, we some of us live from this very deep-seated, sometimes unconscious beliefs that actually determine the ways we live and move every day. And those patterns of thought can affect us the most. So for example, if you have somewhere deep in your psyche Oh, this kind of thing always happens to me. And that's going to affect the way that you interpret the things that do happen to you. Or if you really believe, oh, it's just my luck, it's just my luck. Then when things come along that, that just my luck idea is going to color and shape the way you interpret the events of your life. The things that reaffirm your bad luck are going to get elevated. And the things that don't, we just ignore. I think we've all done this at some point. If you've decided that you are unlovable and then you're given opportunities to give and to receive love, but you, you think, no, I'm unlovable or I'm unworthy or I'm impure or I'm, I'm so bad, I'm, I'm undeserving, whatever word you put in there, that deeply shapes the way that we interact with people and the decisions that we make. And so Jesus, he comes along and he starts his ministry simply by saying, repent. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And many of you know this. The Greek word for repent is the word metanoia. Meta means a change of form, like a metamorphosis. We think of a butterfly. Meta means change. And then noia simply means to exercise the mind, to think, or to comprehend. So if we put those together, I think the word repent that Jesus starts his ministry with 
literally means to think about things in a whole new way. Jesus' ministry is all about telling us, leave behind the old. Let's see life in a whole new way. I have something new for you. Paul tells us to take every thought and make it captive to Christ. I think we have to become aware of the scripts and the narratives and the stories that we tell ourselves because they shape the way we live. They shape the things we believe. We need to consider what it means to say things like, just my luck. We need to consider how we've allowed our regrets to shape us. Because like Elisha, Jesus says a new word can always be spoken into that. Jesus wants to break into our minds and he wants to take our thoughts captive. He wants to take the regrets and the curses and the just my lucks and he wants to take the stories and the messages that you believe about yourself, your actions, your inactions, or your reactions, whether we realize the ways they have affected us or not, Jesus wants to usher in a whole new era for us in which we don't have to live according to the thoughts and patterns of old. Jesus wants to enter into our thoughts, and he invites us to repent, to simply think about things in a whole new way. So Elisha, he comes into Jericho, and the people of God, they complain about the land. It's unproductive, and the water is bad. And Elisha says, bring me a new bowl. Put some salt in it. Let me remind you of who God is. And Elisha throws some salt in the water, and he says, God is not a God of punishment who just wants to throw fire and brimstone at you. And he throws some salt in the water and he says, God does not curse your life. And he throws salt in the water and he says, God does not bring a spell upon a place or a city. And he throws salt in the water and he says, God does not want your history to define your future. So let's get some salt and remember that God says, return to me at any point, at any point. And I will restore you. I will renew you. Today is a new day. So Elisha throws the salt in the water and it's cleansed. It's a new day. Jesus gets up on a cross to forgive us of our sins and ushers in a whole new era for us. He he allows us to live in the newness that comes from knowing him. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this story. And I think God can get our attention through physical things like in communion when we touch the bread and we taste the juice. Because when we talk about regret and forgiveness and patterns of thinking, those are all abstract ideas. But when we touch something tangible, it can be a simple reminder of who God is. That's why we wear cross necklaces and we light candles So in response, we place some bowls of water up here on the altar, and there's salt in the back of the room, and I want to invite you to come forward to touch the salt, to take some in your hand and to drop it in the water. And Maybe you're here this morning, and you've been living according to a script that tells you that you are cursed or you are shamed, that you aren't good enough that you're unlovable, that you aren't worthy. Touch the salt and be reminded of who God is. 
Or, or maybe the script says that you're always going to be involved in that thing because you always have been and you can't break free from it. Touch the salt and be reminded of who God is. Maybe you need to take the salt and drop it in the, in the water and claim a new day. Maybe you're here and you feel like, I have just come to the very end of myself, the end of my strength. You've been battling whatever it is and you can't get over it. Come and touch the salt and say, God, I need you. Maybe you're here and you're stuck in this pattern of repeating the same things that you know are not good or holy. Come and touch the salt and offer that to God and ask God to help you break the pattern. So do you have any narratives or stories of regret that are guiding the way that you live? Stories that you have taken into your mind and you've decided, yeah, this is who I really am. Maybe today we need to ask God for a new story to show you who God is through God's eyes. So whatever it is, I invite you to come out this way, go to the back and there's a a yellow bowl of salt and to pick up however much you need And as you touch that salt to remember, God brings restoration. God brings healing. God brings redemption. And then come and drop it in this water as a symbolic act of releasing whatever it is to God. I invite you to come now.